This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here at Core Brain Journal one more time, and we're bringing a, a, an additional diversity to your listening ears. We think that it's really important to cover uh, a variety of perspectives and the complexity of uh, getting well, recovery, and managing oneself through a lifetime. And our guest today is Hannah Hamblin, and she's bringing to us a couple of interesting, more than two, but uh, some very interesting perspectives that have to do with, number one, her sightedness and non-sightedness, that story, and her Christian perspective. Thanks so much, Hannah, for coming on board. We really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to introduce Hannah a little bit to you, and then we'll go on from there. But first of all, I'm going to talk a little bit about our sponsors. Core Brain Journal is brought to you by Direct Health Access Laboratory with over 3 million studies. They are deep leaders of experience with the big picture of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges that directly affect brain function. And remember this, if they can serve professionals in Nigeria, they can certainly help you out in Fargo. They have a global service with a molecular focus. Stay tuned. And Corporate Journal is also sponsored by the Barry Robinson Center, a holistic environment that sets children, teens, and families on the path to healing. From personal experience, I know their work with families we've shared a truly different residential experience. They're interpersonal, TRICARE friendly, and they have a focus on mindset for the entire family constellation. More in a moment, we'll be talking about them in mid-episode. So let me tell you a little bit about Hannah. Hannah is a life, business, and spiritual coach. She's an expert in providing a roadmap to success in, get this, the following areas, fasten your seatbelts, personal growth, professional development, relationship coaching, communication skills, confidence and personal power, inner peace, achieving balance, health and weight issues, organization and productivity. I mean, Hannah, is there anything you missed here? This is amazing. <laughs> so Hannah's faith is strong. She became legally blind at, at a young age naturally, and it caused her to become more involved in her own Christian spiritual practice, and we're going to hear about that in just a moment. She knows she's disabled, but with God's help and guidance, there are no limitations that stop her from getting where she needs to go in life. Because of her strong faith, she shares with others around the world. She focuses on bringing Christian products and gospel to the masses through her online store. So, Let's get started by hearing about your mission and exactly what did happen to you as a kid when you lost your sight. Um, well, my mission really is to um, inspire others to, to um, accomplish, you know, in life what it is, what their goal is, if they've been having difficulty um, getting to that next level. Uh, my goal is to encourage people um, not to give up, no matter what happens in their life, um, 
to focus on um, what their goal is. You know, in life, there's a lot of distraction. Things happen because it's life, but just to try to encourage people to um, stay strong and don't give up on their, their dream and their goal in spite of whatever might happen in their life. So how did you, uh, what, what happened to you when you lost your vision as a child? What was, what was that event like? Let's sort of start back at the beginning, run the tape all the way back. Uh, and then, right. and then how you actually came to who you are today. Sure. Well, um, I'm originally from, um, Kingston, Jamaica. I was raised up with my great grandmother. My mom and dad came to America to try to make a better life for us. So, um, early childhood age, when it was, I say, when it was time to go to school, they discovered that I had problems seeing the blackboard. And I was from a very poor town in Jamaica called Jonestown. And we really didn't have a lot access to a medical facility and things like that to really find out what was going on with my sight. So my great-grandmother wrote my father and told him, you know, I was having problems seeing. And they didn't have the type of um, aids that I needed in Jamaica, um, in the school, in the neighborhood. So my father... Um, you know, sent for me. They started to apply and help me to get to America. When I came to America, um, I lived with my father for a while and they took me to the um, eye doctor and did all kind of tests and everything. And it was discovered that I had something called macular degeneration. It's, um, it doesn't really happen a lot in younger people. It's almost like juvenile diabetes in young children. Um, and so they got me to a, a school where I was able to be in a re resource um, class and I had to learn to use large print and so forth. So over the years, years went by and I was, you know, I was fine. I was able to see um, at least a function on my own going to school and things like that. But eventually, um, as the years went by in high school, uh, my eyes, I still was able to function on my own and things like that without, um, but eventually I would say in my early, in my middle twenties actually was when my sight really, um, took a turn from, for the worse. And, um, it got to the point where I really couldn't see to just walk around on my own without having the right aid, you know, things that I would need. So, um, Eventually, I got evaluated by the um, Jewish Guild for the Blind, and I had a mobility teacher, and she took me on the road and um, just observed how I was walking on my own, and I, I was, like, bumping into things, and she recommended, she said, oh, your sight is really bad, and you're going to have to learn to use a cane. So that was very devastating for me, and I had to... I guess, come to the reality of that and how I would function dealing with that. So I was in my middle twenties. That's when I really had that root and awakening that, you know, really, I don't really have usable vision anymore. <laughs> well, Hannah, I have to tell you right off the bat, you and I talked very briefly before we had this conversation and I didn't catch your beautiful Island rhythm in your voice until you started telling your story. <laughs> and we just love that that island accent, you know. It's so melodic and, and peaceful just even in talking about it. Yeah, it's it's not as uh, evident as it may have been a long time ago. But anyway, right. back to it. So did you actually 
go, do you still have any kind of vision or you have no vision whatsoever at this point? Right now I have no vision. Okay, so you have I many can, years. I, I can sense the light, yeah. Oh, you can sense the light. Please go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I can sense, you know, light, but not really as far as, no usable vision as far as recognizing anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then you, uh, then in that process, you then must have been in considerable turmoil as you fell apart there with uh, with that. I don't know. Were you? Did you already have a strong st spiritual practice before? No, not, as, no, not really. As far as spirituality, I was raised with my great grandmother, and what I do remember is, um, as a child, we all. Whenever we went to bed, she she raised like nine of us because you know my different cousins, their parents came to America too to um, make a better life for us. And I do remember one thing that really have helped me over the years that I was able to turn to what I was taught from my young age, which is she would always have us to say the Lord's Prayer. Each of us had to lean, you know, kneel at our bed. We had one room, and we all slept in one bed. <laughs> and um, one thing I really remember is every night before we go to bed, she would have us to say the Lord's Prayer and also the 23rd Psalm. And um, it's a story that happened. I remember when my father and they sent for me in Jamaica and my brother and I, we went to the embassy and I didn't pass the, um, the medical exam. They, you know, they was considering not putting my paperwork through. So, um, I remember she told me that I threw my, I was very disappointed because we heard so many wonderful stories about coming to America. And, um, I remember she said to me, she said, when you heard what, um, that you wasn't going to come go to America, you threw yourself on the bed and you said, Lord, have mercy on me, please. I want to go to America. And um, my brother and I was very close. I didn't want him to go without me. And um, I don't know exactly the time limit, but shortly after that, they approved my paperwork and I did come to America. Mm -hmm. So I do remember of that. And, you know, when I lost my total sight, I um, it came back to me, you know, what helped me, what I was taught, what I was taught from a young age. So I started to go back on what I was taught of. You know, the scripture said, train up a child the way they should grow. When they get old, they won't depart. And um, this very devastating time in my life when I actually really lost all of my sight. And um, I was living with my husband at the time and um, just had two smaller children. And, um, you know, he was getting involved with a lot of things that later on um, led to his being him being incarcerated. But he said to me, um, I remember I was crying. I was like, I didn't, I hated the idea of having to use a cane. I was like, really, I didn't even really want to use my glasses, much less what, um, you know, learning how to use a cane. So I remember just really started to cry out to God and asking him to please help me, give me the grace to get through this. And little by little, you know, as I trust him more and more, I was able to get some sense of peace and, um, really started to seek God, you know, in my early 20s more. Mm -hmm. So then, uh, then the next step, of course, is how you ultimately undertook the practice of coaching. How did you, how were you guided in that direction? And, and what is your coaching practice like? Right. Well, that was, that was years later, actually. My coaching practice is very new. I think I've just started this, I would say, about, um, about six months or so, but um, I was always an entrepreneur at heart. So um, anybody that really knows me, they, I was always selling something, <laughs> whether it's Avon, candy, whatever. 
And it took me a long time to get to coaching and to, because I was always seeking the Lord of exactly what can I do to help other people? You know, not just selling something to make money, but what is my calling? What is it that I can do to help other people to achieve their goal and their dreams in spite of what they, whatever they might be going through in life? How can I help other people to get through it? And I was doing some searches online and um, I came across a course that I took and I went through that and I was saying, oh, wow, this might be a really good way that I can give back and help people to um, accomplish their goal and find out what it is that they're called to do and just kind of, I guess, coach them towards that. Mm -hmm. And people always told me I was very, you know, all through my life and the different places I was, I was always told that I inspire people. You know, they were encouraged by me and how um, I function in spite of not having my sight and the attitude that I have. And so I said, I've always gotten those type of compliments, but I had to connect the dots till I really came across this coaching business and it say, oh, wow, this could be a great way for me to help people. Well, do you, uh, in your coaching practice, do you um, seek out individuals who are themselves blind and work with them or do you work with sighted individuals as well as blind individuals? Um, I, I could work with sighted. It doesn't really matter if they're sighted or not sighted. I try to help people because I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I try to help people to accomplish their business goal, whether it's a career that they're having struggle getting to the next level or, you know, it could whatever it is that they might be going through. My goal is to help them to get there. It doesn't matter if they're sighted or not sighted. Most of my um, things that I've done really, it's been with people that's been cited and they've told me I've motivated them and they're saying, well, if you could, um, do all of this being, um, sightless, you know, you inspire me. For instance, I worked for a nursing agency as a marketing director for seven years. And my boss said, one thing that she really love about me is that I keep her going. I always make sure she, I hold her accountable and, um, you know, she loved that about me. Well, I noticed that you are also not only a certified life coach, an yeah. ordained minister and spiritual counselor, but you're in the American Union of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Program Certified Business Coaching. So mm-hmm. you, are, you must be deep friends with Tony Robbins. Um, not really, no. <laughs> I, I, I took that course because of the fact that... Um, it was an online course, and I just wanted to have that, you know, Pacific certification. But I, I really am not. Um, I, I've heard of him, but I don't really. No, I would just put no, it up. Really I, was, I was being no. somewhat physical. Because <laughs> no, he is. He is an NLP neurolinguistic programming expert. Absolutely. Oh, really? Yes, he's. Oh, okay. His whole mission is reframing things very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, you know, when you see him on YouTube or whatever, he's he's got right. a. He's got a new, uh, I'm told, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard very good things about it. Uh, I am not a guru, or I'm not your guru on Netflix. And uh, apparently it's a very evocative, straightforward piece. It's a little raw, apparently. And, uh, I'm not really. But Tony is Tony's a guy who's, who's really uh, directly affected the lives of many people by his, by his strategies, coaching strategies. So anyway, back to it. So then, do you work in the because you've had some experience with business? So you cover relationships and business and self management. 
Well, I don't really, um, they have that on my site because of the um, company that I got the website, but that's something I've actually asked for them to take off. The re- I really don't get into relationship coaching. My goal is to business and self-development. Um, life coaching really is my focus, helping people to accomplish in life what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And um, yes. Okay. So then let's talk a little bit and we're going to just take a quick break here. And we're going to okay. talk when we come back about what you actually do. I mean, how I'm going to ask you the question, give us an example so people know what a life coach does and what you bring to the table and how that works for your clients. So with that, we'll just come back in just a second after we hear a word from our sponsors. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression, on every level for families including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know we refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing? So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's d-h-a-l-a-b.com forward slash core. Great, Hannah. So let's come back and, and talk about the reality of your coaching experience and, and this practice of working with others. And I think it's really quite reasonable for you to bring in the spiritual piece of it because you do have a an, a, an angle sounds somewhat disrespectful, but I, I think it's a perspective. Angle sounds uh, diminishing, and but it, you have a particular perspective that that adds to that coaching experience. So tell us what you do with individuals, how you work with them. Do you work virtually? Do, you, do people have to come to your office? That sort of thing. Okay. Well, I, I work virtually. I also, um, for instance, I worked with um, a nursing agency. Um, she, owns a, she owns a business, and um, I was the marketing director there. 
I helped her to get um, different contract. When I started, when I first worked for her, um, she was struggling. There were hardly any um, money coming in the business. And I was able to work with her, get, you know, have a meeting with her and try to figure out what we can do to help her to increase sales. We came up with a plan. Um, I also helped her making the sales call, holding her accountable and try to figure out what can we do to get her to the next level? Where did she want to go? Come up with a plan and really hold her with accountable and um, a lot of reinforcement and focusing on her goals. And so, we did sorry. get her company to the next level. We did get a lot of contracts and so forth. And I still give her counsel even today, you know, when she needs me. Great, great. So is that practice now, that particular relationship, yes. was it involved with uh, spirituality at all? Well, um, she was. she's a believer and still is a believer. I'm a believer. And... Um, not as far as me giving her spiritual countenance, but as far as uh, inspiring each other, you know, sometimes we would pray together and so forth. We encouraged each other to keep our faith alone and to stay focused mm -hmm. and to continue to trust Him no matter what's going on. Yes, we definitely inspired each other and, um, in that way. So that's an example of something that worked well for you. Can you give us an additional example of where you had kind of a transformational experience, where you were doing what you thought was right, it didn't appear right, you learned something from it and actually changed your practice? I mean, this is a surprise question. I didn't prepare you for this, so you may not have an answer for it. But I'm, what I think is so important, one of the things we like to focus on in Core Brain Journal is a person that's going down the road and they they learn something in the process. They have a structure. They have a grid that they're working from. I mean, this is really where I'm coming from. Is I had a grid that I was working from for years. Uh, you know, and uh, really psychopharmacology. That was a an important grid. And when I repeatedly discovered the limitations of a strictly psychopharmacology, and I began to ask the deeper questions of what was going on with people, it's it's really the essence of what changed my life in terms of my practice and my coming with the pro coming to people with this kind of a program, because I think the diversity of inquiring more deeply about these other events, data, biology, and indeed, as we're talking about here, a spiritual practice, uh, we had to add everything together as opposed to saying psychopharmacology was the only thing we could do. So, you know, we've talked about that elsewhere, so I won't, I won't repeat that now. But if you had a transformational experience like that in, within your practice that you could share with us? Well, I could just talk about what I've tried before um, life coaching. Mm -hmm. uh, for years, I, I got involved with a lot of multi-level marketing company. I was deeply attracted to sales. You know, um, most of those companies can make a lot of promises, or you're going to be wealthy, this and that, and I got in, I did sales for years. I tried different companies. Um, I got to, most of them I would get a sale here or there, get um, a client here or there, but I wasn't really successful in it. And after trying it for a long time, I realized, okay, that wasn't for me. Um, mm -hmm. I realized that through me, for instance, I, w I worked at my church for years as a, um, a prayer counselor. 
and I realized that I did a lot better being able to counsel people on the phone, being able to pray with people, even though I wasn't making money, but that w was where I got my satisfaction was when someone called and I would pray with them and they would feel better. Or I was able to just somehow help them to get through that moment of whatever they might, might've been going through mm -hmm. at that time. So I found like I eventually I came to the realization it wasn't just about chasing money and selling things, but really I should be trying to focus on what my gift is that God has given me. And that's, you know, was my search for years. And I believe I've found it through um, the prayer counselor. I did that for 10 years at my uh, ministry. Also um, helping people now with life coaching, hopefully can try to figure out exactly what it is they're trying to accomplish and helping to guide them somehow to get to their goal. And I get a lot more satisfaction in helping people that way. Mm -hmm. Yes, I still want to make the money, but I, I, it has to be more than that. Yeah, so, so that's what I learned. That that's a definite learning experience. I mean, you you went up against it, and it wasn't. You just found out that it wasn't for you. And even yeah. though you were involved with the product, you you would have been um, uh, a good representative for the product. But it was more about your inter interrelationship with the person than the product itself. Yes. So then, have you had any difficulties when you're working with people? What would you say would be, if someone's interested in coaching, what could you share with them as a cautionary note going into coaching that you have learned from the experience that might be helpful to them in terms of their next steps? Right. Um, I would say to really try to figure out, you know, if this client is committed, if they're really going to, be willing to do what it takes to get them to the next level because a lot, some, someone might, it's just like a, a baseball coach or what have you. The coach has to know that that person is committed. They have to, there's disciplines that they have to go through. They have to eat right. They have to do their exercise. It takes years and years to, per, to prepare for um, the Olympic or whatever it is. They have to be willing to be committed. I would say that's what you have to really look for in a client. Because then if not, they're gonna, it's going to be a lot of frustration. It's better, they, it's better for them to wait until they're say, okay, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get me to that next level. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I've seen that in my practice as well. Uh, many, many individuals come in with a very passive mindset. I'm here. I've presented my body and my mind to you. Now fix me, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> And that passive, you know, give me something. I don't want to think about this too much. And, of course, we do everything we can to educate individuals who come in to see us. Here's what we think you should know about. Here's what we think you should understand about this process. And uh, a lot of people just fall by the wayside because they just want to not think. They don't want to take responsibility for themselves as individuals. And they want to blow it off and come in. I'm going to be passive. You're the, you're the boss. You've got the rule. Just give it to me, but I'm, I, won't, I won't bother with it. And do, we do everything. Exactly. It's six years old to get those kids to take responsibility for themselves. Because if they don't take responsibility, <laughs> it's a waste of time. I mean, we'll help them a little bit, but, and, and you know, that sort of goes without saying. You can throw something at a person with some degree of intelligence and help them a little bit, 
But they're not going to make the actual transformational effort unless they take the responsibility for themselves. That's, that's been my experience, and that's, that's what you're saying as well. Yes. Yes, you know, it was asked, um, I love this, um, it was asked Helen Keller, they asked her, is there anything worse than being physically blind? And she said, yes, having sight without a, without a vision. The person has to have a vision. They have to have a desire that, look, I, I'm willing to do what it takes to get to that next level. It's okay, you, okay, you can see, but you, you need to have a vision. You need to know what you want to accomplish, and you need to be able to be um, committed to, to do whatever it takes to, to do that. Like when I lost my sight, I had to be committed. I had to learn to read Braille again. I had to be willing to take the time to go to the school and, and, and learn that. I had to be willing to go through the mobility, to be able to learn to walk on my own with a cane. I had to do all of that to adjust. So it's whatever it is that they're trying to do. If it's losing weight, they have to be committed to change up their diet, to do the exercise and do what it takes to, um, you know, lose the weight or get healthy and whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Now, I'm going to ask you a tough question. This is another one we haven't prepared for, okay? So I'm, I'm, I don't mean to put you on the spot or anything, but to me, I think it's a, a curious and an interesting question, and I think a number of our listeners would be interested in it. How does your spiritual life help a person in your, through your coaching and through your ministering to them in a coaching manner How's your spiritual practice help them become more responsible as individuals? Do you have a do you have any kind of thoughts about that? Because I think that's a very worthwhile mm-hmm. thing to consider because I think every single one of us, myself included, could use a little dose of uh, improved responsibility. Right. Well, I- I'm not a pastor, but what I do, I for, I try to let them know what helps me. Uh, what has helped me through the years, I'm, I'm, I'm a praying person. My grand, great-grandmother installed that within me, and I try to encourage people to pray and to really seek God and, and depend on Him. I depend on God to help me, and um, that's what I would really try to encourage people to pray and to really look to God. And I believe if you ask Him for myself, I know He has helped me, and I try to help people to do, you know, at least tell them what works. God works for me. I pray, and He answers me, and I try to encourage people to get a personal relationship, a prayer relationship with the Lord. Now, you haven't said this, but I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I think the application in the real world is that a spiritual practice with the um, community and with the support of a good spiritual practice gives the person the courage to be more responsible and to throw their concerns aside because really what happens with spirituality, it's all about living or dying. And if you're on a spiritual practice, you're more into living and you're more into being of service. And when you're not, you're just dead. You're not really moving forward effectively. And, and as a result of not being moving forward, you are less inclined to take responsibility for your own life. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's absolutely true, because I, I feel that I'm, I'm accountable to God with what I do with the gift that He's given me. And um, yes, I, I want to be my best. I, I want to bring glory to the Lord. So definitely, yes. Mm-hmm. 
So then how, what's your age range of people that you consult with? You do men and women. Do you, how young do you go? How does all that work? Well, I, I wouldn't say go be, maybe like, you know, early middle twenties and up. Mm-hmm. I don't really, um, call you don't ask their really age if they're talking to you. <laughs> You don't say how old are you? No, I really never, you know, I've never thought about as far <laughs> yeah, as the see. age, but. Um. And that's not as relevant. I just was thinking about it because, <laughs> you know, some people like, okay, well, I don't see men. I don't see women or whatever. So, and I'm, I'm always <laughs> thinking about children and adolescents. I think, I think uh, one of the things I've seen in my own practice efforts is that coaching is very helpful for even uh, informed adolescents. That's really kind of where I was driving is why I had that question in my mind because, you know, I actually reframe it. Some people say in my practice, people say, well, you know, I don't think I want any therapy, you know, and, and uh, you know, a coach, a, a, an adolescent will say that or the mother say, I don't think I want to get into this, this counseling thing. And I said, well, what would you think about coaching? How would you feel about actually figuring out where you want to go and how to get there? I mean, which is really what we're right. talking about. This is not do you love your mother? This isn't you know, working with your unconscious. This is how are you going to handle your life? And they're that's like, true. oh, yeah, I can go for that. I mean, that's totally reasonable. Whereas, you know, yeah. do you love your mother is, is uh, seriously, I mean, everybody, it's an interesting question, but it's not as mm. relevant Is what are you going to do with that time that you're spending with somebody? Where are you going to go with it? And what are you going to do with it? That's true. I think that's so yeah, absolutely that. so relevant. Well, this is very interesting. So then, in winding down here, do you have any thoughts in closing that you would say that have been uh, lessons for you, places to go, things you would recommend that our listeners could do to nudge themselves along the pathway of life? Well, yeah, um, they could um, go to my website. I actually have, well, I have my coaching website, which is um, hannahlifecoach.com. Um, there's a lot of nice, you know, interesting articles there. And also they could go to cherishjesus.com. I have a blog and I have um, scriptures and different um, things that, um, subjects, like for instance, I have like this amount, you know, several scriptures that can help adolescents to get through um, prayer pressure. So they'll find a lot of inspirational blogs that can help them through whatever um, they might find a scripture or something that can bring them comfort. And um, also, I definitely recommend my um, my ministry is very inspirational for me also. So and that's um, atla.org if they want to check that out as well. Okay, say that, say that last one because I didn't see that in your show oh. notes. Oh, org. That's my church ministry also, if they wanted to check out that website as well. Okay, good, good. Is that, is it ATLA.org? Oh, ATLAH.org. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on board. It's been fun talking. I think, really, it's inspirational to see people who've had a trauma, a challenge, that were a, a, a disability that's turned into an opportunity. I think, you know, we've had a number of people here on, uh, you know, from everybody with, you know, who've been uh, paralytic. We've had a number of people who've been clients and sort of had no idea, no vision for themselves in terms of 
uh, hey, I'm lost, I'm, I'm disfigured, I'm disabled, I've got brain injury, I can't do anything. And then they have a transformational experience and they come on, it's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make something happen with my life. And you're doing a good job of it. And that's great that you've taken it on you're, and you're going to go out there and, and uh, take some names. It's great. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Hannah. Thanks for coming on board. And, uh, thank you. We'll, we'll look forward to having you back in the future when you write that book. I can see it coming. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. All right, girl. You I've have been a good told one. that before, so I, I hope I get it done. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.